Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Mishkin Law in Chicago, and thanks for joining me today. My co-host, Rob Hunt of Linnae Holdings out in San Diego, uh, still finds himself in a summer state of mind out on uh, one of the many uh, vacation islands off of uh, New York State out there. And as a result, uh, his internet connection is not very good. Great for when you're going on a vacation to get away from everyone. Not so great when you're trying trying to tape a uh, a podcast. So we will miss Rob today. All of his insight and humor and knowledge on all things dead and marijuana related. Uh, hopefully, he will be back with us next week, and uh, there'll be lots of stuff as always going on then. Just really quickly, today is going to be kind of a, a freeform day. I think uh, we've been listening to a lot of dead lately. Uh, uh, obviously, with Jerry's birthday and then Jerry's death and the days between, and really wanting to focus on him. Uh, during that period of time. And it's not going to be without uh, any mention of the Grateful Dead today. In fact, we're going to touch on the fact that uh, 53 years ago, tomorrow, August 16th, uh, the Grateful Dead played on Maxie Asger's farm in Bethel, New York, at what we all know as Woodstock. And uh, it's not one of their better performances, and they admit it freely. Um, But this being the Deadhead Cannabis Show, we would be a bit remiss if we didn't at least touch touch on the Grateful Dead uh, so before we go any further, Dan, why don't you uh, kick into our opening clip here and enjoy the Grateful Dead from Woodstock. One of the best fucking rock groups in the world, the Grateful Dead! That is uh, the Grateful Dead playing St. Stephen uh, as their opening number in their big gig at Woodstock in 1969. Big being a bit sarcastic because it was really not. And I'm only repeating what Jerry and the other guys in the band have long said, that it it was not a good performance. It was raining. uh, And as they claim and still claim every time they touch their electric guitars, they would get little shocks of electricity through them because of all the water on the stage. And we all know that Woodstock had more than its share of logistical and technical problems, uh, but still pulled off uh, a real miracle, I think, both in the musical world and in the whole uh, alternative living world, uh, showing people that uh, like-minded folks could get together and have a good time. And yes, they're going to get dirty and muddy, um, but they're going to enjoy it and have fun. 
Uh, and so it was only natural for the dead to be there. But by the same token, I think the dead are probably pretty notorious for not necessarily playing their best when they're uh, one of many acts involved in a festival of one sort or another. And, uh, you know, this one kept true to that. So uh, there may have been other factors at play, given all of the uh, fun psychedelic drugs that were going around at that time. Uh, but that's for stories for the dead to tell and not for me to uh, to imagine just for the sake of it. Um but it is a great time, and it's it's great to listen to them. And you know, this is 1969, so this is really, uh, you know, right and the maybe in the beginning of the of the downside of the Primal Dead era that we've often talked about, culminating in those four shows at uh, the Fillmore West at the end of February, beginning of March 1969, most of which wound up on Live Dead. And um, at, so Woodstock, this was the stuff that they were going to play. Interestingly, we just played about the first minute 30 of that song. And had we gone another 45 seconds, uh, you would have found out that the song ended. Um, uh, due to uh, all the uh, unforeseen circumstances and, uh, and the vagaries of the system that they had up there at Woodstock, considering it was all kind of slapdash together by you know, a bunch of people who were not necessarily professionals at the time. Um, nothing bad against them. They put the whole thing together, but perfection was probably more than we could have hoped for. And certainly on uh, St. Stephen, we lose out on part of the song. But I always find it interesting to note that after that, they just jumped right into a, uh, uh, a regular standard Mama Tried. Um, then they tuned around for another 10 or 15 minutes, launched into a dark star, 20 minutes, pretty standard for that time. Uh, a very much shortened version of High Time, and then closed out on a Love Light, which we'll be uh, revisiting a little bit later in the show when we uh, jump back to our Grateful Dead roots, as it were. So, yes, uh, by the way, um, there's not a whole lot to do with the Grateful Dead in August, generally speaking, other than the Vanita Organ show uh, in late August 1972. That's one of their more famous shows, and they, they have out on uh, its own little mini box set and everything. And if you've never heard that show, you should. It's great. Who knows, we may even talk about it next week. But uh, on August 15th, which, by the way, is the uh, birth date of my good friend, um, Mr. Tommy Meyer, and uh, I would just like to wish him a very happy birthday and hope that he's having fun with his family uh, as he turns 61. A guy who went to a lot of these dead shows with me, especially early on, uh, and we shared a lot of uh, really special experiences. So it's his birthday, and I'm always happy to shout out to him on his birthday if we can't be out there in Amagansett to visit and surprise him and that he takes us for good music over at the Stephen Talk House and everybody has a good time, even if the food's a little sandy. But on uh, August 15, 1971, The Grateful Dead did a show at the Berkeley Community Theater. Uh, that's actually a very good show. And, and uh, again, from 71, a very strong time for the dead. Uh, I would recommend uh, that if you're looking for some uh, good Grateful Dead from that period, that's a good one to listen to. Uh, but given the amount of dead that we focused on recently, uh, I thought it might be fun if uh, for the next few minutes on the music side, uh, we take a look at some of the other music that's going out there. And just to make my life easier, I settled on the music that I've been going to see over the last few weeks. And when you know I finally step away from the whole... Uh, uh, Grateful Dead universe for a little while, which isn't always an easy thing to do. You do recognize all the tremendous music that's out there, and uh, you just have to try and take advantage of every opportunity you can to go see it. And and that's what we certainly try to do, uh, my wife and I, whenever we can. And sometimes we can make it, and sometimes we can't. But if it's an event that's been planned and organized by my good buddy A. Well, I can assure you. Uh, that the odds are one or both of us will be there, uh, as we've all learned the hard way that when he recommends an event and you miss it, uh, you miss it at your own risk. So 
uh, off we went at the end of July uh, out to uh, Boulder, Colorado for a weekend with the whole gang. Um, and that's just Alex and uh, our good friend Andy from uh, Society Jane, who as always is the first guest on our show way back when, which we truly appreciate. And my good buddy Mikey, who's been to every major dead show that I've ever been to, took me to my first and uh, love him too. And his uh, lovely friend um, Lynn, who was with us, and we love Lynn and uh, so glad she could join us. Our good friend Harold made a surprise appearance against all odds. And uh, off we went, uh, my wife and I, with the rest of them, uh, to Red Rocks after a uh, bit of a bump along the way, a little fender bender we got involved in in the uh, car that was driving us there. Uh, nobody was hurt, and we made it in time for Los Lobos. Uh, their set was wonderful. Um, then Tedeschi Trucks came out, and about uh, four or five songs in, the boys uh, from Los Lobos were invited up on stage and uh, came up to play a couple of tunes. And I thought uh, it would be fun to... Uh, to listen in on some of those. So Dan, if you've got the next one ready, this is Tedeschi Trucks and Los Lobos' version of Key to the Highway. clip much longer than we would play and quite frankly not as long as I wanted so the key here was to see how much of a long clip I could pass by Dan and uh, he he drew the line where he had to draw it and I I'm not going to argue with him because he's the producer and you don't argue with the producer kids but I will tell you this it's a great song it's one of my all-time favorites an old Charlie Seeger tune made famous of course by uh, Eric Clapton uh, Derek and the Dominoes which he was a part of and uh, so many other bands that have played it but you know really does anybody cover anything as well as Tedeschi Trucks? And especially with the guys from Los Lobos out there. And in the middle of the song, there's some great guitar solos from the guys in Los Lobos. And this clip starts almost immediately after Susan Tedeschi's solo guitar and singing, which is beautiful, ends. But who are we kidding? They're all great. But when you're going to see Tedeschi Trucks, at least me, I can't speak for anybody else. My eyes are on Derek Trucks. And to be in the presence of a guy who plays guitar the way that he plays guitar... It's like he plays guitar like he breathes. It's, it's, it's just, it's beyond natural for him. And to watch him, as a, me, I'm a guy who couldn't play guitar if my life depended on it. You know, I don't understand the, the frets and the chords and any of that stuff. But I don't have to because I'm not doing it. He is. 
It's just like, I don't know how to slam dunk a basketball and Michael Jordan does, you know, when you're in the presence of greatness, you just know it. And um, your job is to pay attention and, and not miss out on the opportunity to witness it. And, and we, we, I focus on Susan Tedeschi when it's her turn and, and all the people in that band. It's just such a tremendously talented band and the guys from Los Lobos with their, with their own solos and, and, and what they were doing and more power to them. You know, they're great. And if Derek Trucks wasn't standing on that stage with them, we'd all be raving about how amazing they were. But when you're standing next to Derek Trucks, I think you just have to kind of understand and accept, you know, that anything he does is is, is just going to draw the attention from the crowd. And, and it, it's not with him. It's not like the, you know, the Jerry personality thing where people were such Jerry heads and, you know, if Jerry blew his nose, they all went crazy. It's with Derek Trucks that when he just decides to jump in there, the music that he just drops out and lays down out of nowhere so quickly is is amazing and it's like i listen you listen to the tapes you listen to the records and to be there and to see him do it live is is, is really incredible so this is just uh the clip was him and I, I i just had to do that we've got another one coming up in a minute where i i, I pulled myself away from a, a Derek truck solo to to feature the rest of it um but you know sometimes you just have to do that and and that's just the way it is just really quickly in the marijuana news side of things, uh, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, Illinois is still kind of waiting to do something with its new conditional licenses that may or may not be handed out and which may or may not be acted upon yet. Nobody quite sure. But we keep hearing that one day we'll have lots and lots of dispensaries. And, you know, I'm like, you've told me that before. So this time I will believe it when I see it. Uh, certainly, I'm excited to help my clients move forward and other groups that I'm working with uh, to be able to be successful and find their own space in this industry, which all of a sudden is going to become a very robust industry in Illinois uh, with numerous owners and uh, uh, businesses out there uh, that I think will hopefully uh, do a very good job in terms of pushing up the levels of both the quality of the products that are made, um, as well as the uh, innovativeness of some of the products they come up with. Um, and the quality is uh, the quality and the quantity. You know, th that's what people around here want. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be the very best. It just has to be good. And I'm not saying the stuff here isn't good. Um, but I think that there's a lot of people who feel like it could be better, or at least some of it could be better. Um, and, and maybe that that's what these guys uh, with the craft grows are going to do. That's what I would do if I were one of them. And, uh, you know, just try to make hay in this town with some dynamite genetics and see where it takes you. But in Illinois, we've got a program and it's set up and I could go to a dispensary on my way home and buy whatever I want. And we take it for granted here now, even though it's just a couple of years old. And, and before that, we were no different than our good friends down in Arkansas. Uh, who still don't have adult use, but are pushing. And uh, the most recent is we have a, uh, a group down there that's called the Responsible Growth Arkansas. And they went in and they asked the state's high court, that's, that's not a mistake, the state's high court, to overturn the Board of Election Commissioner's decision to shoot down the proposed constitutional amendment because of its battle, ballot title and name. Uh, according to the, uh, I guess that was the Arkansas Democrat Gazette that gave us that little nugget. And so the, the group had come up with enough signatures to make the ballot, but the election board had rejected the adult use petition and they weren't going to put it on the ballot. Um, this would potentially get recreational marijuana uh, on there so that uh, they could vote on that in that state adult use. And, you know, basically what the lawsuit is, according, they say that the election board's approach is overly stringent. You know, it violates the state's constitution and it challenges a 2019 law that, you know, otherwise allows them to certify ballot measures. 
And, you know, they're right. They should be able to go forward with this uh, like any state. You know, the question is, what are you hiding down there, Arkansas? I don't know too many people from Arkansas, but some of the people that I know from Arkansas uh, enjoy marijuana very much and tell me that there's a lot of other folks in that state that do. And that doesn't surprise us either now, right? Because we know it's everywhere. And maybe the folks in Arkansas are just afraid that, um, you know, if we get something on the ballot, or if we uh, uh, actually let something like this go forward, oh my goodness, the people might get what they want. And then uh, that could create all sorts of problems for the people who like to use the illegality of marijuana, you know, for their own intents and purposes, which isn't going to be the topic of today's show, but uh, maybe will be in the future um, because we see that all the time. And, you know, we all know people talk about social equity, but it has to be more than just words. And there has to be a demonstration to the people for whom social equity is actually designed um, and not anybody who can, you know, pull the right strings and get themselves qualified as social equity. That's where the real problem with social equity comes in. But when we look at the people uh, who really should be able to, you know, be involved in this, it, it's always the people. And, you know, to not allow uh, citizens of this state to engage in something like that in a legal way, sure, it's the right of the, of the lawmakers of the state of Arkansas. But, but, you know, put it to the vote and let the people of the state ultimately make up their minds if you're not going to do it, right? In Illinois, the legislators here were brave enough to stand up and vote it in, you know, and notwithstanding other criticisms that people may have of Illinois governance, and many of it is valid and, and right on, they got this done and they got this bill out here. It's not the best bill. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of holes in it. And, you know, nothing best exemplifies that than the fact that two years in, we still don't have anything other than the original medical license holders as owners of uh, any of these licenses uh, or people that they've sold to. And, you know, that's just not fair to all these folks that have been waiting for so long, uh, you know, to really get in. So if you're going to put a program in place, Arkansas, make sure you really put a program in place that actually goes forward and lets people uh, start doing what they want to do within the state and, and not sitting around waiting because, uh, you know, well, let's just leave it at that. Things in Illinois could have been done better. Okay. Arkansas, good luck to you, and I hope you, uh, I hope you get it down there. And if you do, we'll talk about it and tell everybody. Canada. Canada is really interesting because Canada went nationally legal with marijuana. Not too much later than that, the United States went nationally legal with hemp. In the United States, you can get arrested for selling marijuana, but typically you will not get arrested for selling hemp. In Canada, they can sell all the marijuana they want. They can't sell hemp. Uh, not hemp, excuse me. I keep saying hemp. CBD. Bob Hoban would laugh at me right now and he'd be right. Um, CBD is, is, is the problem that we've had with Canada. And that's because they're Canada. They, you know, they legalized very high uh, cannabis with very high THC levels as far back as 2018. But CBD remains a controlled substance in Canada. Uh, regulated in a similar manner uh, to the way we regulate high THC in this country. So CBD up there is the big black market and the big illicit market. And a study by the Health Canada Advisory Committee, uh, which was a three-year review, is expected to come out and conclude this summer that with appropriate safety, efficacy, and quality standards for those products, uh, that this type of market should be able to go forward. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, Canada will continue to move in the right direction as, as that. But, you know, it, it's just, I think it speaks to the, to the irony as well as to the frustration with the way marijuana works. All the people in government think they're experts and most of them have no idea what they're doing. 
you know, the fact that we have this huge dichotomy between two states that are otherwise typically on the same page with a lot of these types of things um, in terms of, you know, personal freedoms and certain things that are allowed and not allowed, not identical, but, you know, close enough that uh, the fact that they would go all in on marijuana but hold off on CBD and we go all in on CBD and are still kind of holding off on marijuana, you know, I think that we ought to bring Raphael Meshulam in from Israel and let him mediate the whole thing. And maybe at the end of the day, everyone will pull their heads out of their backside and say, this market just needs to go forward and we got to get out of everybody's way. And once we do, you know, we'll see what'll happen. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be a good thing. You know, it's not to say there shouldn't be appropriate, you know, regulation. There shouldn't be appropriate oversight. There shouldn't be appropriate testing. That's all necessary. And, you know, people who want to partake in this market and, and benefit from it should understand that and not have any problem with it. Um, but, you know, both of these both of these countries have to really, you know, get in high gear and figure out, uh, why they each have their own bias against something that, you know, the other one doesn't have a bias against. And um, I think that they're both erring on the side of their negative bias and not on the side of their positive bias. So if they could pull that together, we would all appreciate it. It would make life a lot easier for everyone. Um, but that's Canada. So keep that in mind if you're planning on traveling to the Great White North, if you're going to bring CBD along, or if you hope to be able to get CBD, I would say be careful and good luck. Now, swinging uh, our attention back, it's enough marijuana news for one day, I think. Let's go back one more time with Dan, if he can, to take us back to uh, Red Rocks, July 29th, 2022. And this time we have the Tedeschi Trucks Band accompanied by Los Lobos. Uh, and this is a great cover, a war tune, The World is a Ghetto. That's a great tune. It's a great tune. It's a tune that I certainly heard back in the 70s and maybe even the 80s uh, as I was uh, discovering music and discovering the band called War. But I'm not going to lie to you. This uh, this was a tune where full credit goes out to AWOL. Uh, and this is why we go to concerts with him because five notes into it, he was pointing it out to us and he knew right what it was. And even after they started singing and I knew 
the song. I, I wouldn't have remembered the name until they got to the point where they said the name in the song. But that, that's why you go with A. Well, in fact, that night they also did a tremendous cover of a Dr. John tune, Walk on Gilded Splinters. And uh, A. Well was right on top of that, too. So he, he's got the good music karma. When you go to a show with A. Well, you do it. My son learned that at J-Rad in uh, Boston a few years ago. Didn't believe me until he went. And then he saw what I meant. So great shout out to uh, to Awell and to Andy to thank them for all their hospitality out in Boulder a couple of weeks ago, uh, to the rest of the gang for all making it out there to celebrate Mikey's birthday and giving us an excuse to get together. Just a lot of fun and uh, a tremendous Tedeschi truck show at Red Rocks. If they come to your town, you need to go see them. That's just a basic fact. Moving on, you don't always have to go all the way out to Colorado to find the best music and uh, to have the best opportunity. Uh, and sometimes the music comes right to your backyard. In uh, the town of Evanston, Illinois, where I reside, we have a wonderful, wonderful, well-known indoor musical venue called Space, uh, which is on uh, Chicago Avenue in downtown Evanston, just a little bit south of um, Dempster Street, and just a little bit north of Warren Shell Station, my favorite Shell Station in the world. Hey, Warren. But Space is a great place to see a show. The problem is it's small, and it's a very confined place. And, you know, with numbers bouncing around with the pandemic, people certainly aren't quite as comfortable necessarily going in there for two or three hours as they might be, or at least not without a mask. But if there's an opportunity to take it outdoors, then that's just great. And so every year, Space has its outdoor music series called Out of Space, and it's over in the... um, the Evanston Canal Shore, which is a stretch uh, that makes up the Evanston Golf Course. Uh, It's a stretch of green that runs along uh, a little river there. The Evanston Hospital is right there uh, just off to the side. And uh, they set up and they do a really nice job of creating a very, very nice outdoor venue. It's beautiful. Uh, The temperature both nights, uh, you know, couldn't have been better. There was no rain. When I say both nights, we went, uh, the first night was uh, Thursday, August 4th, my wife and I made it there uh, with our good friends, Michael and Shoshana. And we went primarily to see uh, the band Trampled by Turtles, uh, which is a bluegrass band. And, and they, they did not disappoint. Uh, they were really, really tremendous. And I would urge anyone who is a fan of like Yonder Mountain and that kind of music that you should really see Trampled by Turtles. Uh, again, an AWEL uh, uh, original uh, recommendation. So hats off to him. But you'll like them. And and they're really a lot of fun. Uh, finding some of their music, though, is more difficult. And since I couldn't find anything from the night of the show that I was at, uh, and also because, quite frankly, I just don't know very many of their songs and wouldn't necessarily be able to identify the song that I was playing, uh, I took a pass on Trampled by Turtles. We also uh, caught Jenny Lewis's set that night. And uh, while I will be honest that I didn't really know Jenny Lewis, uh, we did stick around and listen to her. And uh turns out that Rob Bleatstein is a big fan of hers. So uh, he was uh, psyched to hear that we had seen her. And uh, she was certainly a lot of fun. And uh, uh, anytime you can go sit outside on a nice night and hear music like that, it, it's, it's great to do. And they just put together this series and they never disappoint. So uh, that was Thursday night, Friday night, August 5th. We had the opportunity to go right back and to see a, a, a double bill with uh, Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, uh, who have worked together in the past. And uh, as I learned, uh, uh, candidly admitted to all of my friends, causing Alex to deduct five points off of my musical knowledge, legend status, or whatever it might be, that Nick Lowe had actually written uh, some songs for Elvis, uh, specifically What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, which has always been one of my favorite songs. But Nick, in addition to that, 
has a number of his own tunes, including probably most notably Cruel to be Kind, uh, which anyone who's my age, you know, or within a few years of me ought to be able to immediately sit down and start singing. I won't do it for anyone because I don't sing well, but you've heard Cruel to be Kind and uh, Nick serenaded us with that. and It was a lot of fun. Uh, but then he played a tune um, that I also did know that he uh, had written, but it was made probably more famous at the time uh, when it came out, um, probably back in the mid to late 1970s. Dave Edmonds uh, was the one who took the song and really made a big deal out of it. Uh, but when Nick played it uh, on uh, August 5th at uh, Out of Space over at the Evanston Canal Shore, uh, I knew that this was one clip that we had to uh, we had to snag and play on the show. So, Dan, whenever you're ready, let's go ahead and listen to Nick Lowe. great that's just like you know taking me back in time to sometime uh in high school riding around in my buddy gary's car with um mark and boots and uh, listening to great music and uh this song would come on and you know, we'd all try to pretend like we knew it but all we really knew was just the one you know the main line i knew the bride when she used to rock and roll it's kind of hard to miss that but you know just to have an opportunity to see the guy who wrote it actually perform it uh was a lot of fun and um we had a really great time that night uh again my wife was there with me and our good friend Stacy joined us, and we were happy to have her along. Uh, she's also a big deadhead, and we may have to talk to her one day about her dead experiences because her time following the dead and mine really aren't that far off from each other. And uh, we had a very nice time, maybe to the dismay of the folks sitting next to us, uh, comparing dead notes and talking music and all of that. But uh, it was fun to have her along as well. So after hearing Nick Lowe and and really having a chance, uh, you know, to to rock and roll with his tunes after the break, which again, on a night like that, when it's just so beautiful and, you know, I'm within a mile or two of my house and everybody's just strolling around waiting for the next set to start. And out comes Elvis. And I'm not going to lie. Elvis definitely looks a little bit older and, um, you know, not quite the same skinny little guy that he was back on my aim is true in 1979 or whenever that, that, that album came out. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it's not really about uh, how any of them look these days. And, and we've talked about it a lot. Some of these guys can barely walk out onto the stage, but you put their instrument in their hand and give them a backbeat and they take off and, and, and really do great things. And Elvis Elvis delivered as promised. Um, you know, he, he came out, he played a great show. Um, you know, my thing with Elvis always is, is that he, he gets everybody up and rocking out. And then he immediately cuts to like two really, really, you know, kind of slow 
ballads or melodies, which are beautiful songs, right? I mean, you know, they're they're just lovely. You know, Veronica's a, a great tune, but it it, it does kind of take the the tempo out of the place, and then he he'll turn around and boom with mystery dance and get everybody up and going again, and then you know slow down with something. Um, but he knows uh, you know, certainly how to close a concert, and at the very end he cut loose with this tune, which has always been my favorite Elvis song, um, and uh, this is from August fifth again, uh, twenty twenty two from the Evanston Canal Shore at Out of Space and Elvis Costello. great tune and if, as long as he can play that tune i'm going to come out and, and listen to him and uh it, it was a it was another great night at uh, out of space it was a great way to to wind down the first uh, the second set and a couple of encores after that and everybody went home with a smile on their face uh so thanks to elvis and thanks to the folks at space uh for once again doing a great job the shows i didn't see then on saturday night lucinda williams was the headliner and on Sunday night, it was Chicago's own Buddy Guy. Uh, and Buddy's going to draw a crowd anywhere he plays. And um, although I did not make it there that night, I know folks who were there, and, and they were very uh, complimentary of of Buddy and his bluesmanship and uh, his, his style that never seems to, to go out of style. So the folks at, uh, at Space keep knocking it out of the park. And as long as they do, we'll be there to listen to it and talk about it. So thanks a lot for that. It was really a lot of fun. Just a couple of other things really quickly on the dead side, I think, that I want to run through. A long time ago, I promised to discuss Dave's picks number 42 from Winterland in San Francisco, February 23rd, 1974. And hopefully this coming February, we will, in fact, talk about it. We'll try to do it before then if we can. We've just had so much going on that it's really been hard to dive in to all the, the Dave's picks that are coming out. And now number 43 is out. I haven't even listened to the whole thing yet, but the parts that I have listened to are Absolutely tremendous. It's from two different shows, uh, November 2nd, 1969, uh, The Family Dog at the Great Highway out in San Francisco, and then uh, on December 26, 1969, uh, McFarland Auditorium on the campus of Southern, Mes- Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And, and both shows are absolutely tremendous. There's a great Dark Star St. Stephen, 11, Death Don't Have No Mercy, Sweet. There's a, a really fun version of Monkey and the Engineer, which I was delighted to hear uh, that they've been playing back as early as 1969. Um, it's just one of those tunes that's silly and fun and one of the reasons why we love listening to them play. And, and so at some point, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll try to talk about Dave's Picks 43. Um, but even before we can do that, now a new box set has been announced by them, their annual box set. And this year it's called In and Out of the Garden. And uh, it's from the Grateful Dead at Madison Square Garden. And interestingly, from the early 80s, 1981, 1982, and 1983, which I could not be more thrilled about, um, I had 
absolutely anticipated that this was going to be um, their shows from the late 80s and early 90s where they would go in and do like 10 nights and 10 shows in 12 nights or whatever it was. Um, and those were great shows, but it was just interesting that they picked these. Um, and while uh, 81 and 82 uh, are very good years, and I look forward to hearing them, 83 has special significance to me because I was actually at both of those shows at Madison Square Garden. The first one being October 11th, 1983, uh, which will always be famous uh, for its Bertha into space. Just kidding. And it's St. Stephen breakout coming out of space, uh, which uh, kind of basically caused the garden to erupt in a way that me only at like my 10th show ever, you know, couldn't quite comprehend at the time and not being quite, you know, steeped enough in, in Grateful Dead history. I can understand when people tell me, boy, they haven't played that tune in a long time. But having not been a deadhead forever waiting for them to play it, you know, I almost felt a little bit lucky that I, I was getting it. And of course, they only played it two more times in uh, Hartford a few nights later and then out in San Francisco. And that was the end of St. Stephen for reasons that maybe somebody in the band will share with us one day. Maybe not. Doesn't really matter. Um, but that night, it was absolutely incredible. And if you can get this box set or listen to it or find it anywhere, uh, I would recommend that you go to the space, and if you're up for it, listen to the whole space. In fact, listen to the whole set, of course. I mean, the the, the birth in the second set is absolutely amazing. But uh, they finally wake, make their way into drums and then into space, and I have a distinct memory of the whole show and being there and them noodling about and going up and down and all over the place. And earlier in the evening when we had gotten there, somebody had been running around yelling how they sound-checked St. Stephen, and one of my buddies assured me they always sound-check St. Stephen. That doesn't mean anything. They're not playing it. And uh, lo and behold, they did. Um, and it was great fun. And uh, I, I couldn't have been happier to be there. Um, and I'm not going to lie when I say that there was a part of me that was actually kind of excited about the fact that in my new friend group of uh, deadhead friends in which I was the, the young guy with, you know, barely double figures of shows, uh, I was going to be the only one who could report back that I had actually seen St. Stephen. Um, I don't talk about it with them too much. Of course I do. Uh, anytime I see them, we talk about it. Um, so that's a great show. But then even more amazingly, the next night on October 12th, they came out and I don't want to say they outdid themselves because the St. Stephen breakout is, is, is pretty amazing for that point in time for the dead. But this was a special night too, because they opened the concert with Cold Rain and Snow, which has always been a, a favorite of mine. I love Cold Rain and Snow, and it's a really great tune to listen to. But, you know, on any given night, you might say, what makes one, any one Cold Rain and Snow stand out from any other? You know, maybe Jerry's playing better one night. Maybe his voice is better. Maybe he remembers the words. Who knows? This night was special because at the very end of the song where they belt out, out in the cold rain and snow over and over and over again, uh, one of my buddies punched me in the arm and said, look at the stage. And there standing right next to Bobby and sharing his microphone was Phil Lesh. And uh, I think as far as any of us can tell, this was the first recorded instance of Phil uh, stepping up to the stage and, uh, and singing, um, being part of the singing since he had stopped singing sometime in, I want to say, 19, early 1974 maybe, uh, due to throat ailments or whatever the specific issue was that caused him not to sing anymore. Uh, and, and people went crazy because he was standing right up there with Bob Weir sharing his microphone. And uh, little did we know that you know, just about three or four years later, uh, we'd all be uh, at the Hampton Coliseum, you know, watching that same Phil Lesh step out and you know, uh, blow our minds again with uh, an amazing box of rain. Uh, but, you know, this may have been the beginning of that. And, and you know, look, 
again, as Rob says, we're the nerds, right? We pay attention to this kind of stuff. A lot of people don't, but if you're a nerd and you're paying attention, this is like, you know, if you're sitting outside looking, you know, for comets in outer space and you look your whole life and all of a sudden you see a three second blip of light and it's like, oh my God, this is what my whole life has been about. And, um, my whole life hasn't been about Phil Les singing on cold rain and snow, but it has been about loving and enjoying the Grateful Dead. And uh, it was just great to be there and, and to get to see that. And then if that wasn't enough, after a, an absolutely tremendous show, and the first time I ever saw them end a show with the whole not fade away drum beat as they, as they walk off the stage, uh, that might have been the first time they ever did that too. Uh, they came out and for the encore, uh, if, if possible, you know, they, they blew everyone's minds yet again. Uh, with an absolutely wonderful uh, first-time cover uh, of the Beatles song Revolution. And uh, it just was so amazing uh, to hear them play that, uh, you know, it was such a great series of shows and um, just just amazing one after another. And to send everybody back out onto the street after having played Revolution, uh, I just don't know how it could get much better than that. I, we, I was with my buddies, uh, um, Carrie and John and, and uh, John took us to a bagel place that was just at that time. I don't know how he knew they would be coming out with fresh hot bagels that were just absolutely amazing to those of us whose minds had been uh, operating at a different speed during the concert. And uh, the three of us all piled into John's van and in the back he uh, had a, a mattress laid out for you know when he would take uh, breaks while driving on the road. And we were all sitting there talking and probably smoking a joint or something as he drove us out of New York City. And we began the drive back to Ann Arbor. Ten minutes later, I must have been completely out. And the next thing I know, I woke up and asked John where we were. And we were at a rest area. Uh, and we had made it all the way back to Toledo, Ohio. And he asked me if I could drive. I'm like, yeah, sure, from Toledo. It's about half an hour to Ann Arbor. So uh, I got the 10 and a half or 11 hours, crashed out in the back of the van, uh, you know, just in all the uh, joy and revelry that you have when you come out of Madison Square Garden uh, after having seen some absolutely amazing Grateful Dead. So uh, in and out of the garden, uh, check it out. If you're a big Dead fan, you should absolutely get it. If you're not, find a way to listen to it and really focus on those 83 shows and you, it'll just be incredible for you. Uh, speaking of Madison Square Garden, that always makes us think of Fish. Uh, fish is, well, once again, the uh, the uh, the way we tape our show, I'm sitting here, uh, you're, you're listening to me on August 15th, which is the Monday after Fish uh, just concluded their three-night run at Alpine Valley, uh, but I'm recording it the Wednesday before Fish's three-night run at Alpine Valley, so although I'd like to sit here and tell you how amazing the shows were and, and be able to go over what they played, uh, I can only do it if I think that I have the ability to be uh, right on the money and there'll be many people checking up on me and I, I know that I will lose at that. So uh, I'm going to take the easy way out and just say how excited I am to have a chance to go check out fish, uh, get to go with my son, my wife, some of his friends who are all the big fish heads and uh, none of them were old enough to have seen the dead, but they all love the dead. And so it's fun to get to hang out with them and see the way those guys, uh, you know, jam with their band and talk about the way we used to jam with ours at Alpine Valley. And, uh, you know, no summer's ever complete without the dead at Alpine Valley, or at least it didn't used to be. And, and, and we'll make our way back to that again uh, in the near future. So, um, Great music going on, and you know everybody should be going out and, and, and checking out their local music options, especially during the summer when you can be outside. And of course, you know that's the beauty of a place like Alpine Valley. It's large. It's uh, relatively easy in and out. Not the best, but certainly not the worst I've been to. 
And it's got a beautiful pavilion and just an amazing lawn. And even when you're in the pavilion, the, the way it's built, you, you do get some sense, you know, that you're outdoors. Uh, luckily, if it rains, you don't get wet. But everything else uh, uh, is just like being out there. And I'm sure at some point I'll make my way up onto the lawn to uh, visit with my son and his crew. Uh, but more than likely, I'll spend most of my time down in the pavilion where older folks like me don't have to, you know, fight the crowds and uh, battle gravity on a steep slope on the hill and can just instead hang out in front of our seats uh, and sit down whenever our knees tell us to. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing fish. Uh, we will talk about it. Uh, I'll say we'll talk about it next week because for you guys, it will be next week um, and it will be for me too. So uh, yeah, listen to your music, go out and have fun. Uh, on our way out the door today, we're going to finish up with where we started off, and that's uh, heading back out to Bethel, New York, one more time to Max Yasker's farm. The concert did not take place in Woodstock, New York. Uh, it took place in, at Max Yasker's farm, which is in Bethel, New York. And it's actually kind of funny. You can read up on it. Max Yasker was just some guy who lived out on there, uh, out there, and they kind of stumbled upon his property uh, because of the way the, the uh, geography was. It, it formed more or less a natural bowl for where they could set up the stage. And uh, he's interviewed in the movie. If you've never seen the Woodstock movie, it, it's they don't really feature the Grateful Dead in the movie, although they do have a good clip of Jerry getting off a, a helicopter right before he was going to play and flashing a peace sign to everybody. So, you know, that's kind of cool. But um, it, it, it's just, it, it, was, it really was an amazing experience. And I think that certainly for people who were there, uh, it shaped and framed their lives. And, um, you know, there's lots that we can learn about, you know, people who have the ability to get together for a weekend. And even though we've heard some of the negative stories about went down, there's so many more positive stories that I think just by the weight of gravity and everything else, they ultimately outweigh them. And we have to accept that not everything is going to be perfect. But I think that, you know, in terms of an overall societal experience, uh, you know, Woodstock probably spoke to a lot of people in terms of what it would mean to have a more free or open society. And, you know, certainly those are part of the issues of the day right now. What rights do we have that should remain free and open to all of us? And so, you know, these are these are themes and these are issues that never really go away. And uh, so, you know, it is appropriate, I think, as we wind up today uh, to go back to that. So, um to close out, I will say that uh, hopefully uh, Rob will be back with us next week and we will have more fun things to talk about, including my impressions of fish. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our show this week. Thank you for Dan Humiston, as always, for producing the show. And uh, I will look forward to talking to everyone. Until then, be safe, have fun, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. The Grateful Dead from Woodstock.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.